Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 170. Today's big Bible questions. How did Jesus become accursed for his people, and what is the gospel? So, hello, friends. Happy Tuesday to you all. I am very excited about today's episode because it ends with such an excellent, excellent, wonderful passage from Charles Spurgeon talking about how Jesus became a curse for us. So please listen to that. Think about sharing it with other people because I think in this short little passage, Spurgeon captures the essence of what the good news is, what the central core components of Christianity is. So today's Bible readings include Deuteronomy 21, Psalms 108, 109, Isaiah 48, and Revelation 18. Now, our focus passage today is found right at the end of Deuteronomy 21. And I'm not going to lie to you. This is a very peculiar chapter in many ways. Uh, Is God dictating all of these commands here in Deuteronomy, or is Moses speaking some of them? Well, some of the commands of Deuteronomy are very obviously spoken by God, but I do wonder if some of them are spoken by Moses. I'm not saying they're not the word of God at all. I'm just saying Uh, Some seem to be dictated directly by God. Some seem to be possibly from Moses. And one of the reasons I say that is because I find this quote from Jesus in Matthew 19, 7 through 9, kind of interesting when the disciples were talking to him about divorce. And it reads, why then, the disciples asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? And Jesus told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts, but it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, an interesting book that addresses some of the harder and more difficult to understand passages of the Old Testament, in particular some of these passages in Numbers and Deuteronomy, is called, Is God a Moral Monster?, and is by apologist Paul Copan. It is worth a read. That said, Christians are not under the old covenant anymore, but the new. And speaking of the new covenant, there is a very, very powerful passage here at the end of Deuteronomy that points us towards the new covenant and the amazing sacrifice of Jesus. So let's read the chapter and see if you can pick out that very powerful passage there at the end. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. If a murder victim is found lying in a field in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess, and it is not known who killed him, your elders and judges are to come out and measure the distance from the victim to the nearby cities. And the elders of that city that is nearest to the slain man shall take a heifer that has never been worked and that is not pulled in a yoke. And the elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to a valley with running water, which is neither plowed nor sown, and shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come forward, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. And by their word, every dispute and every assault shall be settled. And all the elders of that city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley, and they shall testify, Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it shed. Accept atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not set the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people Israel, so that their blood guilt may be atoned for. So you shall... 
Purge the guilt of innocent blood from your midst when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. When you go out to war against your enemies, and the Lord your God gives them into your hand, and you take them captive, and you see among the captives a beautiful woman, and you desire to take her to be your wife, and you bring her home to your house, you shall shave her head and pare her nails, and she shall take off the clothes in which she was captured, and she'll remain in your house, and lament her father and her mother a full month. After that, you may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. But if you no longer delight in her, you shall let her go where she wants. But you shall not sell her for money, nor shall you treat her as a slave, since you have humiliated her. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him children, and if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then on the day when he assigns his possessions as an inheritance to his sons, He may not treat the son of the loved as the firstborn in preference to the son of the unloved who is the firstborn, but he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the firstfruits of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of the father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, Then his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of this city, This is our son, Uh, this our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard, then all of the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. To my knowledge, this is the only time in the Bible the phrase uh, under God's curse or God's curse is used. Now, there's a particular and peculiar curse spoken of here in the last two verses of Deuteronomy 21 for those that are hung on a tree. A curse is the opposite of a blessing, whereas a blessing confers extra grace, favor, provision, and strength, a curse brings extra toil, pain, hardship, weakness, distress, sickness, and more depending on the power of the curser. Probably the worst fit of cussing and cursing I have ever had in my life was around, I don't know, I think it's been 15 or 20 years ago. I was trying to get one of those flexible duct hoses to fit on the back of an old dryer at our house. I tried for what seems like a month to do it, but it was probably about 20 or 30 minutes, and it just kept falling off because the connector was on an old dryer and it was way too small. And I just, I vividly remember the screw on the duct that you had to tighten was not a Phillips head screw, which would have been logical. It was a dumb old flathead screw and my screwdriver didn't fit it very well and it kept slipping and I stabbed myself and I busted my knuckles a few times. Just between you and me, I've never been the best tool guy, right? I have some strengths, I have some weaknesses and You don't want me fixing your dryer or things like that. It's just not in my wheelhouse. And so I was squatted down in a very dirty place in our garage behind that washer, pinned against the wall, sweating profusely during a humid Alabama summer. 
And finally, after that hose falling off for about the 112th time, I lost it. I said every bad word I knew at the top of my lungs. Nobody was home. And we didn't have kids at the time. And I cursed that dryer vent to the 49th plane of hell as many times as I could. Now, other than sinning and getting sinfully angry, what impact did my curse have on that dryer vent duct? Well, the answer is absolutely none, because there is really no power behind a chase curse. Unfortunately, all of the power in the universe uh, literally is behind God's curse. And in Genesis 3, God pronounces the first curses that we know of. The Satan, or the accuser, is cursed, and the ground and the land of the earth is cursed, which appears to have cursed literally everything on the ground or the land or the earth also. Death has come because of that curse, sickness, anxiety, pain, arguments, disunity, toil, sadness, heartburn, depression, boredom, suffering, and everything bad, literally. You and I? We were born under that curse, just like every human that has ever been born, with the one exception of Jesus. Not only were we born under that curse, but we have also done the same as Adam. We've also earned the curse by our behavior, as Paul explains in Galatians 3 verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Well, you know what? I've sinned and so have you. And then we have another curse here in Deuteronomy, an extra curse, if you will. There is pronounced a sort of double curse for all who are hung on a tree, and only the vilest of the vile criminals, according to God, is to be hung on a tree. Those who are hung on the tree taste the curse of death and the curse of the land that's already there and all of the pain that is involved in being hung and they are also somehow, some way, cursed by God. And yet, in what is literally the most ironic thing to ever happen in the history of the entire universe, and the most ironic thing that will ever happen, the single most worthy person that has ever lived was hung on a tree and exposed to this double curse that is supposed to be reserved for the vilest of the vile. This is something that Paul also points out in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, which says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. In some We were born into the curse of Adam. We earned the curse of Adam even more by our sins. And in undeserved grace and favor, Jesus redeemed us from that curse so that it no longer applies to us. How did he redeem us from that curse? By taking every drop of the power of the curse onto himself. He didn't just make the curse disappear. He drank every drop of it. He felt every ounce of it. Now, Charles Spurgeon expresses this truth in perhaps as good a way as I've ever heard it expressed. 
Here is the good news, the gospel of Jesus from Spurgeon. Listen to this and then rewind and listen again and then do it a third time and a fourth if you need to. After that, come to our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com, not for any other reason but just to read the Spurgeon part that I'm about to read to you. Read it, write it down in your Bible, print it up, photocopy it, whatever you have to do so that you can understand in a deep a way as possible what it is that Jesus did for you when he became a curse by hanging on that old, blessed, cursed tree. This is what Spurgeon says. The atonement, what Jesus did on the cross, is a ransom. That is to say, a price paid. In the present case, the original word is more than usually expressive. It is payment for, a price instead of. Jesus in his sufferings performed what may be forcefully, forcibly and fitly described as the payment of a ransom, the giving to justice a quid pro quo for what was due on our behalf for our sins. Christ in his person suffered what we should have suffered in our persons. In all the pages of Revelation, you will find no blessings that the law ever gave to one who had offended it. There were blessings for those who kept it completely, though none ever did, but no blessing is ever written for one offender. Blessings we find in the gospel, curses we find in the law. Christ was no curse in himself. In his person, he was spotlessly innocent and nothing of sin could belong personally to him. In him was no sin. And yet the Bible says God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. There must never be supposed to be any degree of blameworthiness or discipline in the person or character of Christ as he stands as an individual. He is in that respect without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, the immaculate Lamb of God's Passover. Nor was Christ made a curse of necessity. His own intrinsic holiness kept him from sin, and that same holiness kept him from the curse. He was made sin for us, not on his own account, not with any view to himself or what he did, but wholly because he loved us and chose to put himself in the place we should have occupied. What else can the words mean? Christ hung on a tree for us, bearing our curse in our room and place instead. We were all under the curse of the law, but Christ voluntarily took our place and was made a curse for us so that the blessing might be ours. He fulfilled the law's demands by his perfect obedience, and he suffered the law's utmost penalty by his death upon the cross. Now all of those who believe in him are forever justified because of what he did for them. Now, Spurgeon continues, we have heard some preach a gospel that goes something like this, that even though God is angry with sinners, yet out of his great mercy, for the sake of something that Christ has done, he doesn't punish them, but takes away the penalty. Spurgeon says, this is not God's gospel, for it is neither just for God to do that, nor safe for man that God would do that. We believe that God never took away the penalty for sins. He did not forgive the sin without punishing it, but he exacted the full punishment, the full penalty, without the abatement of a solitary jot or tittle. Jesus Christ, our Savior, drank the true cup of our 
redemption to its very bottom. He suffered beneath the crushing wheels of divine vengeance, the same pains and sufferings that we should have endured. He bore our sins that he might bear them away by the fact of bearing them on himself. This is the central doctrine of the gospel. And yes, it is. And man, to read that, my heart and soul rejoices because what it means is that the punishment that I've earned for all of my sins was not simply waved away by a hand of divine um, forgetfulness or whatever. It was not simply overlooked. The punishment was paid. The bill was paid in full by Jesus. And it's unfair, but it's also beautiful. It's the, it's the most unfair, literally, thing that's ever happened. And it's also the most beautiful and wonderful thing that's ever happened for us that our sins have been paid for in full. Thanks be to God. That is the good news. That is what Jesus has done for us. Praise be his name. Amen. Let's keep reading. Psalm chapter 108, verse 1. My heart is confident, God. I will sing. I will sing praises with the whole of my being. Wake up, harp and lyre. I will wake up the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your faithful love is higher than the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. God, be exalted above the heavens, and let your glory be over the whole earth. Save with your right hand and answer me, so that those you love may be rescued. God has spoken in his sanctuary. I will celebrate. I will divide up Shechem. I will apportion the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. And Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. I throw my sandal on Edom. I shout in triumph over Philistia. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? God, haven't you rejected us? God, you do not march out with our armies. Give us aid against the foe, for human help is worthless. With God, we will perform valiantly. He will trample our foes. Psalm 109. God of my praise, do not be silent, for wicked and deceitful mouths open against me. They speak against me with lying tongues. They surround me with hateful words and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I continue to pray. They repay evil for good and hatred for my love. Set a wicked person over him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty and let his prayer be counted as sin. Let his days be few. Let another take over his position. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children wander as beggars, searching for food far from their demolished homes. Let a creditor seize all he has. Let strangers plunder what he has worked for. Let no one show him kindness, and let no one be gracious to his fatherless children. Let the line of his descendants be cut off. Let their name be blotted out in the next generation. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and do not let his mother's sin be blotted out. Let their sins always remain before the Lord, and let him remove all memory of them from the earth. For he did not think to show kindness, but pursued the suffering needy and brokenhearted in order to put them to death. He loved cursing, let it fall on him. He took no delight in blessing, let it be far from him. He wore cursing like his coat, let it enter his body like water and go into his bones like oil. Let it be like a robe he wraps around himself, like a belt he always wears. Let this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil against me. 
But you, Lord, my Lord, deal kindly with me for your name's sake, because your faithful love is good. Rescue me, for I am suffering and needy. My heart is wounded within me. I fade away like a lengthening shadow. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak from fasting, and my body is emaciated. I have become an object of ridicule to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads in scorn. Help me, Lord, my God. Save me according to your faithful love, so they may know that this is your hand and that you, Lord, have done it. Though they curse, you will bless. When they rise up, they will be put to shame. But your servant will rejoice. My accusers will be clothed with disgrace. They will wear their shame like a cloak. I will fervently thank the Lord with my mouth. I will praise him in the presence of many, for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save him from those who would condemn him. Isaiah 48 verse 1. Listen to this, house of Jacob, those who are called by the name Israel and have descended from Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and declare the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness. For they are named after the holy city and lean on the God of Israel. His name is the Lord of armies. I declared the past events long ago. They came out of my mouth. I proclaimed them. Suddenly I acted and they occurred. Because I know that you are stubborn and your neck is iron and your forehead bronze. Therefore I declared to you long ago. I announced it to you before it occurred. So you could not claim my idol caused them. My carved image and cast idol controlled them. You have heard it. Observe it all. Will you not acknowledge it? From now on I will announce new things to you. Hidden things that you have not known. They have been created now and not long ago. You have not heard of them before today, so you could not claim I already knew them. You have never heard. You have never known. For a long time your ears have not been opened, for I knew that you were very treacherous and you were known as a rebel from birth. I will delay my anger for the sake of my name and I will restrain myself for your benefit and for my praise so that you will not be destroyed. Look, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. I will act for my own sake, indeed my own, for how can I be defiled? I will not give my glory to another. Listen to me, Jacob, and Israel, the one called by me. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. My own hand founded the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summoned them, they stood up together. All of you assemble and listen. Who among the idols has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He will accomplish his will against Babylon, and his arm will be against the Chaldeans. I, I have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him, and he will succeed in his mission. Approach me and listen to this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time anything existed, I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me in his spirit. This is what the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, says. I am the Lord your God who teaches you for your benefit, who leads you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would have been as countless as the sand and the offspring of your body like its grains. Their name would not be cut off or eliminated from my presence. Leave Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans, declare with a shout of joy, proclaim this, Let it go out to the end of the earth. Announce the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from the rock for them. He split the rock and water gushed out. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. He called out in a mighty voice, 
It has fallen. Babylon the Great has fallen. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. Then I heard another voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Pay her back the way she also paid, and double it according to her works. In the cup in which she mixed, mixed a, mix a double portion for her. As much as she glorified herself and indulged her sensual and excessive ways, give her that much torment and grief. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am not a widow, and I will never see grief. For this reason her plagues will come in just one day, death and grief and famine. She will be burned up with fire because the Lord God who judges her is mighty. The kings of the earth who have committed sexual immorality and shared her sensual and excessive waves will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in a single hour your judgment has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo any longer. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, all kinds of fragrant wood, products, objects of ivory, objects of expensive wood, brass, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, and frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, and grain, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages and slaves, human lives. The fruit you craved has left you. All your splendid and glamorous things are gone. They will never find them again. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand off far in the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls, for in a single hour such fabulous wealth was destroyed. And every shipmaster, seafarer, the sailors, and all who do business by sea stood far off as they watched the smoke from her burning and kept crying out, Who was like the great city? They threw dust on their heads and kept crying out, weeping and mourning. Woe, woe, the great city where all those who have ships on the sea became rich from her wealth. For in a single hour she was destroyed. Rejoice over her, heaven, and you saints, apostles, and prophets, because God has pronounced on her the judgment she passed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a stone like a large millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, In this way Babylon the great city will be thrown down violently and never be found again. The sound of harpists, musicians, flautists, and trumpeters it will never be heard in you again. No craftsman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. And the voice of a groom and bride will never be heard in you again. All this will happen because your merchants will be, were the nobility of the earth, because all the nations will, were deceived by your sorcery. In her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all of those slaughtered on the earth. Well, that is a sobering conclusion for the city of Babylon. And perhaps in there, you see some of the reasons why I am not personally convinced that the Babylon referred to here is the city of Rome, as we discussed yesterday on episode number 169. 
For one, I don't think if the city of Rome was destroyed, maybe representing the Roman Catholic Church, that all the merchants of the world will see it and weep and uh, and and such like that. I I I don't know that that was yesterday's episode. Go back and listen to that if you will. Well, I hope the word of the Lord has been a blessing to you. I do hope you go back and listen to Spurgeon's summary of the gospel and read Galatians chapter 3 where Paul talks about it because that will most definitely be edifying and encouraging for you and good for your soul and good for my soul. So let's devour the good news of Jesus and thank him for what he did for us. Good day, friends, and Godspeed.